Welcome back to Expensive Advice. This week, or in this episode, whatever it is, I'm speaking to the one and only Mr. Chris Walker. Chris Walker, thank you for joining me, sir. Adam, excited to be on the show. Also excited. Uh, I think we're going to go in some directions that I usually don't go, so I'm looking forward to that. Um, we were joking just before we started that uh, the, the reason why we have this podcast is because of Chris Walker, because I was sick and tired of going on LinkedIn and seeing you talk about stuff and going, hey, I'm gonna, hey man. I want to do that. What's going on here? So yeah, it's pretty cool to, you know, we've, it's been fun to see your journey and kind of uh, get to know you. So it's pretty cool to be on this side going, we're kind of emulating old Mr. Chris Walker here and that could be fun, but uh, let's get into some of it. Um, Refine Labs, that's what uh, I think you're known for right now. I know there's a lot more behind the Refine, behind Refine Labs and in, in, in Chris Walker himself, but uh, a couple of years ago, uh, I was sitting in a, a little basement office and we had a conversation around you starting an agency. Um, what, what do you have now? 120 people? I don't know, some stupid obscene number of people that work for Refine Labs. And if you still live under a rock and you're listening to this and you haven't been onto LinkedIn ever or seen Refine Labs, it's time to get out of that. Chris, what's happened in the last uh, two and a half, three years? Yeah, I think we had that conversation somewhere around two and a half years ago. It was just me at that point, so nobody was employed at the company. We maybe had two or three, maybe four customers. If we were talking, I probably had four or five customers. And since then, we've been able to grow uh, quite rapidly through um, the places where I focus as a CEO, our strategy, who are we selling to? Why? What are we selling them? And what do they actually? Why do they actually need us? And there's no other alternatives. Differentiation. So simple strategy and positioning exercise. Number two, talent experience and talent management and culture. How do you create an awesome place that people love to work, where you get the best people because you create an environment that's unlike other places where they have the option to work. And number three, building a marketing machine that creates demand in the market for what you actually sell by educating people, not selling them. That's the trifecta um, in where I focus as a CEO to set the business up to have a competitive advantage, to be able to acquire customers at a very effective and scale in an effective and scalable way, and to create a place that people love to work, that more and more people want to come work toward as we continue to innovate and expand what we do. And um, that was a nice way for you to say what you do. We can now say how successful has it been? Um, I mean, pretty successful. How successful? People, yeah, how, how successful is totally subjective. Yeah. But thus far, I'd say that it's been quite successful. Um, we are known as a company that like i think i heard i heard someone say the other the other day refine labs is like the next google it's like the coolest place to work out there um so getting some and that's a real thing that may be that may be subjective to people but that's a real thing. getting real real thing that people people love uh like coming in here and being in an environment where they can feel safe to uh make mistakes innovate be in a supportive culture company that sets the right goals creates space for them hires the right people leaders that act in the in the and demonstrate the values of the company so that's something that i'm really proud of the thing that i'm most proud of at the at the place where the company is right now is the caliber and diversity of the people that work here 
Yeah, I mean, I, I, I said this to you. We, we, we met up about two weeks ago and we were chatting. I said, one of the things I personally value the most about you is this, this commitment to a vision and this unrelenting commitment to that vision. And you've just said it. You, you went pretty tactical, which was amazing. Hey, I've got a strategy. It's talent and it's a marketing machine. You, you articulated that. It, it says two and a half years ago, dates are irrelevant. You articulated that and you've stuck to it and you you built something that, and I don't want to say this, is remarkable, you know, well done. It's like absolutely remarkable. And so when I say success, I mean, yeah, maybe subjective, but it's this, like there's like, in, like tangible success here. And it comes from, and that's probably why we have this podcast because it's less tactical, more just like, hey, what have you learned along the way? What I've, what I've learned from you along the way is you wrote those things down and then you didn't just put them on a paper. You like that then. And, and probably done them better than and more intentfully and more uh, strategically, for the lack of a better word, than probably anyone I've ever known. And the, fru- you know, the fruits in the pudding, they say. The, yeah, is that the saying? Whatever it Something is. Something like that. Um, the outcome is, 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 is there. You can see it. And so to me, that's, that's what I was getting at. It's like, I know your brain works that way. And that's why you're good. But it's more than just your brain. It's what you do with it. That's been the funnest part for me. It's like anyone, you, any Tom, Dick, and Harry could have said strategy, talent, marketing. Most people know that. But that they follow through. They put their money where their mouth is. Did they do it for two and a half years, mm-hmm. nonstop, relentless, to get to where they want to be? You have. So that's objective. That's not subjective. You have. And you subjective maybe the scale. Who cares? So I want to talk a bit about that. Why? What, what drove you to get there? I mean, first off, for people, like, execution really matters. And being able to be adaptable and curious and react to the things that you're seeing in real time as a business leader is also super important. And so on August 9th, 2019, my first post that the got fact more that than, you know the date. More, my first the fact that you know the date of this yeah. is is going to tee up everything you're about to say. You know the date. This is going to tee it up. My first LinkedIn post that got more than a hundred thousand views because somebody that was popular commented on it, and from that day forward, I said I am all in on LinkedIn, and not doing a lot of the other stuff that other CEOs do right now to use their time because they look at the old way of building a business and they think that the old way of things is where they should spend their time. And LinkedIn becomes this little extra thing that we do when we have 15 minutes of time or when we feel inspired once a month. And then all of a sudden, you know, it's the difference between when you recognize an opportunity, being able to capitalize on it. That's what business is, right? When there's a slowdown at the beginning of the pandemic and a bunch of people are scared and pulling back and stuff like that, like we already had stuff figured out. The podcast was rolling. We pivoted to virtual events. We acquired customers during that period of time while everyone else is slowing down. And so those are the, there's opportunities in business that if you're able to navigate them and set yourself up in the right way, a lot of other people are falling behind and you're, you're moving yourself ahead. So true, so true. And, I, and you know, I want to get a little bit tactical and technical, whatever the word is, on, on LinkedIn, because I, the way you've utilized it is, is remarkable. I mean, I think we can all learn from it. I literally joked about it as we started this podcast. The reason I'm talking to you right now is because of what I've seen you do on LinkedIn and knowing how that's impacted your business. So we'll talk about that. But I, to me, the takeaway, biggest takeaway is 
and I've, and I've said this in other ways, I think, to clients, is like the execution, and it's the commitment to the execution. You identified the thing. You said it, August 2019. You, the date was 18th, whatever it is. You, 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 you found the thing, but then you did it. And I can tell you now that is, that's easy said, way harder done. I, I mean, I, I'm talking about myself for a second. I don't know how many things I got written on some piece of paper somewhere that's actually never been done. And that to me is a takeaway. It's like the idea is relatively cheap. You know, there's lots of ideas. It's what you do from then on. It's like that commitment. So that that's inspiring to you. Let's get a little bit technical. LinkedIn, why have you utilized it? What's some of the power behind it? The opportunity is enormous on LinkedIn as, and has been relatively obvious since the middle of 2019. Um, and so if you are a business leader and you're paying attention to where your customers are spending time collecting information, networking with peers, you got to be paying attention to that stuff. You got, you have to know who are the people that my customers are listening to, where are they listening to them? Where are they getting information about how to prioritize their business decisions? And if you went and collected that information, you'd find that even in as early as 2019, recruiters, CFOs, CEOs, CMOs, definitely salespeople, heads of sales, basically your entire company is consuming content on LinkedIn, which was a big switch from what LinkedIn used to be, right? 2016, LinkedIn decided to change from being a place where you go and get a job and you look for recruiting to changing into a social network and a content platform. And so it took a little while for that to evolve, but then it was very clear, like, hey, like, instead of waiting until October for this conference to happen, where we're going to build a booth and then hope that 100 people come by so we can talk to them, why don't I just say whatever I was going to say at that booth six months earlier on LinkedIn, and then when, it, when people respond to it, the 100 people that see it and the thousands more that see it because we have scale and they don't need to be at this booth in this town at this conference to engage with us, that, and then you realize, I don't have to wait for the conference. I can do this every day on LinkedIn. I can be the keynote speaker on LinkedIn at 9 a.m. every single day for my customers if I wanted to, which is exactly the mindset that I go into it with. And it creates a whole different, yeah, it creates awesome. a whole, a very powerful mindset to go into it. One, you're a keynote speaker. You're not the head of sales, right? So you're going into it with a different mindset. If I'm trying to put out here and make a talk that people are going to find valuable, that they want to share, that if we had the conference again tomorrow, they, and we were going to do an encore, they would come back and see another, another uh, speech from me. And that's the mindset that I think you need to bring to a, a, so, a social network. I think it's especially in a B2B environment. It creates, a, it creates a lot of the right mindset, which then drives the right behaviors and gets you the right outcomes. So that's one piece of it. The second thing is that LinkedIn is a social network. And so if you are not familiar, haven't like rode the waves of Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or you know, MySpace or other social networks before, it might be a little bit more challenging for you to understand what are the dynamics? How should I act? What is the, how am I gonna understand how this algorithm works? How am I going to collect data to know whether or not it's working? These steps might feel a little bit more foreign to you if you haven't been practicing the social network game like I have since 2012. So 
and in, in that piece like side of it, there's a level of consistency, right? So outside of I'm going to do a keynote speech and talk like outside of the content, then it gets into the more of the execution of like, how frequently should I post when somebody comments and disagrees with me? What do I do? When somebody sends me a message afterwards and says, Hey, that was really helpful. What do I, what do I say back? What do I do? Right. Do I even answer? Like a lot of people think that social net, social media is just about p posting content and then they get three comments on their post and they get one DM a month that says, Hey, your content's really great. I appreciate you. And they just don't respond. It's like the whole point of talking is to start conversations so that you can, you can start conversations with people. It's social. So, um, those are a couple of the tactical things that I've learned, but I think the number one is the mindset and thinking about it like you're speaking at, as a keynote of the conference has really worked for me. I remember you, so I remember you, I can't remember when you said this to me, this was maybe even a year and a half, even two years ago, you said, and I, this was probably earlier on when there were less systems in your, in your LinkedIn process, which mm -hmm. it probably are more now, is you said, well, you don't walk into a bar and just like shove your offer down someone's throat. You don't walk into a bar and just like dump whatever you have on top of them. You have a conversation. You you talk to people. And when you when you wrote that comment, what do you say? What do you want to say? I know that that's such a fundamental part of your understanding of a social network. And you said it again. It's a social network. What does this mean? Is <clears throat> that's important. It's not just you just said it. You don't just blast and wait. Create a social context. What would you do in a bar? You would create dialogue. You would talk. You may disagree. You may agree. You may build on that thought. You may pivot from a thought. And I know that that's been huge for you. Um, any thoughts around that that secondary piece of yes, you're a keynote speaker. There you are talking. Great. I think I think that makes sense. Like I'm, I'm very understandable. Mm -hmm. I think the more fearful part is and that consistency part is okay. So now I'm not just a keynote speaker and never talk again. Like I'm now had my keynotes i've walked to the bar at the back of this event and i've got a bunch of people to talk to how do you emulate that on linkedin also i think one of the um it all it all comes back to mindset right you're at the you're at the conference you just did the speech now people are coming you walk off the stage it happens to me when i walk off the stage at a conference people come over to me and they ask you questions they say hey that was a really they give you a compliment they um uh, occasionally give you some constructive feedback, whatever, like, and, and going into the mindset of like, I'm not at this, I'm not doing this keynote speech so that people come over to me afterwards and say, Hey, like, and then so, say, Hey, and then, so I get the opportunity to pitch them. You know what I mean? That's like, not, not the objective at all. The very long and short of it is that if people understand key parts about your business, the problems that you solve, how you can help them, what other customers or companies like them that have had success, what your the your like main decision makers are saying about you, and they have all this information in place, they can make a decision without ever talking to you. It's just like so it's it's so different than how people think people buy stuff. Like if you surveyed a hundred of your customers and then you went back and said, like, you would get it. You would get data like most customers decided they wanted to work with you before they ever talked to you. Mm. And yeah. that's the power of marketing today. And that's and most companies continue to wait until somebody engages with them so they can talk through sales. 
and they miss that the fact that most people probably like it's estimated somewhere around 85, 90% of somebody's buying process happens before they ever engage with you. And 99% of the market is in that phase two. Very few people are actively in buying cycles. And so there's this huge pool of customers, 99% of the customers in the market doing a huge part of their buying journey, 80 to 90% of their buying journey without you. How are you not making marketing one of the most important parts of your business right now? That's yeah, I, I don't know. And, and I, we could talk about this for 400 days. I mean, you have an entire podcast on it. So all I'm going to say here is you, you know, you'll be in the show notes and everything. Go, go listen to your podcast. Cause you, you dive into this and, you know, and just go follow you on, on LinkedIn. You dive, you, you dive into all of that. So I don't want to, don't want to go far, like too far down that rabbit hole. I like because, it. But I agree. Like it makes so much sense. Like, like, that's what marketing is. Marketing is all of that stuff before that point. Marketing isn't get someone to come in and say, sorry, who are you? Should I be talking to you? Like, that makes sense. Okay, mm-hmm. so we, we can leave it there and, and, and people can go. There. Now, one other thing on LinkedIn, though, which I think I, I'm pretty sure it was strategic. I actually don't know. It doesn't really matter if it's strategic or not. It's just, I know it's been huge for you. It's hiring. And it's just like, it's like almost like, you know, walk into a bar and you hit your head. It's like so obvious. Like, not only have you created this platform where you get to find these clients, but you've also created a social network in its truest form where you, where, where people on both sides are coming. And you said, you know, what is hiring? You said it, talent, credit culture, get people in is one of the most important things for you to do. And LinkedIn, I know, has been huge in that. Talk to us a little bit about, was that a little bit of a secondary thing? Was it very strategic in the beginning? How, and how have you uh, optimized is maybe a big word, but how yeah. do you like bolt on that? This, this brings up a really important point on both sides for people that it's not about the tool. It's about how you use the tool, right? When people are trying to get customers, what most people do on LinkedIn is that they have some per place in the Philippines for 2K a month and spam messages to everybody hoping that they get some customers, right? What we do is we post content and do it very differently. The same thing on the recruiting side, right? People say, oh, I use LinkedIn for hiring because we post our jobs there, right? What we do is very much different. We do post our jobs there, but the key thing about what we do is that we're communicating as a business now, not just me. There's probably 50 or 60 people at my company that are communicating our perspective on where the field of marketing and go-to-market strategies is going inside of the industry of B2B software companies, we probably generate, I'm gonna like, it just doesn't make financial sense to get the data because we'd have to have a SaaS license for every person. It would be like 1500 bucks just to get one stat. So I'm not gonna, 1500 bucks a month to get one stat. So I'm just not gonna do it. But we probably generate somewhere around 10 million impressions per month as a company. What's, and then if you equate that to, if you equate that to advertising value on LinkedIn, you're somewhere in the like 800,000 to a million dollars a month in impression value created through the posting on LinkedIn, which creates a ton of people that know about our company. We have a clear stance on the problems in marketing and have a clear way to solve them. So other people that see those problems in the market and believe in those things also want to get on board to solve them, right? So part of it is not just being out there and being visible. It's also having a story and a vision that other people want to be a part of. And so like me as a marketer in 2016 and 17 faced all the things that I, the people that I'm trying to hire right now face right now. Executives don't under, don't understand marketing, measure it in the wrong way, stunt creativity, force you to measure metrics that don't matter, don't allow you to innovate or try new things, 
set the wrong goals, give you MQL metrics when you should have other ones, whatever, like all of these problems that slow down your career, make it very hard for people that want to work here, that want to eventually be a CMO. Like you could probably come here, do three years of work from a director and become a CMO in three years versus doing it the way you're doing it right now and probably get stuck at senior director because you're at your company and you've capped out on your experience because you haven't learned anything new in the last couple of years because your company has stunted you. So we get more into the details of LinkedIn. This was actually not that intentional, to be honest. Like LinkedIn was um, desired going into it as a way to communicate the narrative and acquire customers. And at that point, when we were one person, I wasn't, I honestly didn't even think we were going to have a hundred people. Like I just, that wasn't in my thinking at that point. I wasn't thinking big enough clearly. And so it was more about getting customers. But then over time, what you realize is that the, the, the customers that for instance, listen to our podcast for six months and then work with us become very, very good customers. And the people that join our team that have listened to our podcast and our content for six months, 12 months, 18 months or longer that then come and join our team become really great teammates for people. And so it's not only about attracting people in, it's also about bringing the right people in that have been primed and understand what we're trying to do and are motivated by that out of the gate. So um, I couldn't, couldn't stress this enough to people like the tool is there. The opportunity is still there, although it's less than it was in 2019. It gets less and less of an opportunity every day, but it's definitely still there. If you're, if you're number one priority in, rec- in hiring and in customer acquisition is not getting serious about producing content for, for LinkedIn for the most part, then you got to shift your priorities. There's almost nothing that's as powerful as this in the short term and the long in the long term. And the thing is that maybe in two years, it's not LinkedIn anymore, right? Maybe in two years, everyone hates LinkedIn because they prioritize polls. They, you know, prioritize plagiarism. They reward stupid things like the algorithm is so elementary. So maybe people leave, right? Like there's already platforms being built for niches of people leaving LinkedIn and going to a community and you treating that as if they would LinkedIn to consume content and network and things like that. I would imagine that other subgroups happen from LinkedIn from this. Regardless, there will always be a place where people congregate to consume information on the internet. And by taking the steps right now, you learn the dynamics of a social network. You learn how to create a podcast. You build an audience of people that would follow you to a new platform if you brought them with you. And so I think people think like, oh, if I invest in LinkedIn and LinkedIn goes away, then I've lost all the effort. That's totally not true. You take all of it with you, right? Yeah, makes so much sense. I, and it's powerful to watch. It's really from my perspective, so to watch how just Chris Walker on LinkedIn, Refine Labs was on LinkedIn and Refine Labs in its in all of its pieces. And I was just like, it just showed this intentionality of we take this seriously. We take this platform seriously. This is where we 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 tell our story to anyone and everyone. And you've done that. You've done that incredibly because you are not just you standing on a podium, you know, on a soapbox, busy talking. And I've loved I've some some of the things I've enjoyed listening to the most. And please don't take offense. Is Megan like some of the? I'm, I'm interested in what Megan does. Megan's mm-hmm. your COO, and she's like I'm interested in. She's like really nuts and bolts in your business. And so like I found some of her talks on culture and her things like amazing to listen to. And that just highlights just the intentionality you've had of taking this to the next level. It's because when we build 
our company. We build it for how the world works right now, not how the world worked 10 years ago when you were this, you know what I mean? And, and so the, the understanding is that like, if you are not building a company that is digitally native, secondarily analog, then you're in trouble. Making people go into offices, yeah. making your customer acquisition about flying to San Francisco to, to that's how you close deals, to um, all, all these different dynamics about how companies operate the way the world used to work and don't question whether or not the world's still like that. So how do we get customers? We do the things that work the best, community, social networks, content platforms, word of mouth, like we do that stuff. When we think about um, culture and things like that, like it was before the pandemic, we were a remote first company because of talent access. It's like so, it's so obvious. People can do their job from anywhere. And if we don't just constrain them to the two miles around the downtown area of Boston so they can commute to this office, then we can get way better people and we can hire way more people. And we, so it's, it's just like, it felt so obvious in 2019 that it wasn't for like a financial reason. Oh, rent's going to be too expensive. Let's not do that. It just makes logical sense from a hiring and talent acquisition standpoint to and talent experience platform or talent experience standpoint to just operate your business and set up your business for how it works today. So I'd recommend people, and that would be a big takeaway is just to look at how do you operate the business? And if you looked at it through a today lens or a digitally native lens, would you do things differently? Hundred percent. Okay, I want to pivot a little bit because I've got a different topic to talk about. As you were talking, though, I I am um, I don't know why I've I've had Aaron Rodgers had this interview last year and he said the grass is greener where you water it, and it was just it just stuck with me this like thought of the grass is greener where you water it, and I think we spend so much time trying to find the grass is greener, and like you you just said it you said earlier you said it hasn't doesn't really matter the platform, the platforms work. It's how you work it. You, 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 you chose a platform and you made that grass so green that there's no greener grass out there. And it wasn't because it was the greenest grass. It's because you made it the greenest grass. You, you chose that. You went all in. You, you visualized what the world needs, what it needs to look like. You went all in. You dived head first. You backed your horses. You, did, you put your money where your mouth is. And you have the greenest grass around. Well, the greenest grass that you can have around. And that's just so powerful. I think like, that's a massive takeaway. Okay, so I'm going to pivot a little bit. We were chatting last uh, last time we met, and you were talking a little bit about macroeconomics. So beyond my, my brain here, because I don't, I don't live in macroeconomics. So you're in the SaaS space, predominantly. Refine Labs works heavily with SaaS companies on the marketing front. And you were, you were alluding to me around there's a lot happening in the macroeconomics of the SaaS world. And I found it very intriguing to listen to. I may not have understood it all the way you understand it, but that's not the point. I think it's just the way, the insight that you've gained in this industry and the way you've compiled it, at least the way you compiled it and articulated to me was super powerful. And so I'd love to share that with anyone listening to this. We're sitting now, it's you know early May, 2022. And you shared about this macroeconomic environment around, especially SaaS companies trying to raise money. Talk to us. Yeah. So um, the first thing for people is like, I'm not a macroeconomic specialist. What I am good at is listening to a lot of smart people from a lot of different angles and then synthesizing that data and communicating it back. 
And so what I'll say is like, there is, if you separate between the private and the public markets, in the public markets, this has been happening for a lot longer than a month. Like it's been clear through inflation, uh, increased inflation, interest rates going up, other things like that, that we, like people were telling me, hey, stuff VCs and people like that, stuff your coffers. And they were telling you that in Q4 of last year because they could see it before it actually hit them, the market. They're slowing down, they're spent their funding. So on the public markets, right? Like I think this, I read it this morning, like the tech stocks on the NASDAQ have lost more than a trillion dollars in value in the past 30 days, I think is what the stat was. Apple and those tech type of tech stocks because valuations are coming down to more normal levels when they were totally over overvalued. Now, where I have a lot of insights is into the private funded companies and markets, specifically inside of B2B software. And so what happened in 2021 is that there was, you know, interest rates were very low, money was flowing, companies were getting valuations that were egregious, like ridiculous, 30, you know, three to four, maybe five X higher than they should be, or that where they are returning to right now back down to earth. So any company that raised in 2021 now has essentially on a two year runway before they raise again, if you're coming up on needing that, that funding, and you know that instead of getting 100x revenue, you're gonna get 30x revenue, you're like, fuck, like, we're not gonna be able to get, a, we're not gonna be able to get, do a down round, our investors aren't gonna accept a down round. So what we need to do is we need to cut expenses and extend the runway so we have more time to grow so that, and more time for the economy to pick back up so that when that time comes, maybe valuations will be at 50X instead of 30X and we'll have had an extra year to grow. So expenses are now starting to slow down. How companies spend money is slowing down. They're trying to extend runways, but only for companies that have a, like there's plenty of companies that are raising right now Companies that are raising right now are deploying capital because they got two, two plus years of runway. So it's really only a small percentage of companies that raised during a time when valuations were out of control and if they weren't able to maintain a ridiculous growth trajectory off of that, then they're, they're, you know, they're looking at most likely a down round in the next 24 months. And so that's the, the overall economic situation. You can see that in how companies spend spend money so we're in 50 i'm in 55 different salesforce instances i have a pretty good view holistically over what's happening in the market in terms of results are they going up or down not on a one company anecdotal level not asking people in a community what's happening for them and getting anecdotes at scale and so we're seeing those and my one of my uh my core goals and visions on this is to be able to turn that data into some level of a market index so that companies can be clear about if your pipeline is down, is it because of market conditions or is it because you suck at marketing right now? Because right now everyone just thinks, oh, no matter what's gone wrong, if results aren't up and to the right, it must have been marketing's fault. Wouldn't have been that interest rates just went up. Wouldn't have been that inflation's at 9%. Wouldn't have been that tech stock valuations got crushed. It's marketing's fault. We must have done our Google ads wrong this month. We must have not put enough content on LinkedIn. And so people just have a general lack of understanding about how business dynamics work. And there are times where there are slowdowns in the economy, which are not bad things. I'm being 100% transparent here for good business operators and navigators. These are the times that you really win. The best times to, to go out and capitalize are when the markets slow down because everyone else contracts and slows down. You go out and deploy 
you are you know marketing on LinkedIn when nobody else is because they don't know how to figure it out. You're producing a podcast when other people don't do it. You're spending money on media and ads when other companies pull back and not spending. It was the craziest thing. In May of 2020, because co every company contracted so much that on, on Facebook and Instagram ads that were ads were being priced at about eight to 10 to $12 CPM. And in May, so much money came out of the system that you're paying $2 CPM. Ad prices go down by four or five X and the companies that keep spending get massive value out of it, right? And so there are, just to point it here, like these are, and Warren Buffett says that I'm not the first person to come up with this idea, but the truth is that like, when there are times of economic slowdowns, the real businesses that have built good business foundations and, and take care of customers and do the right things usually take massive gains. And that's when you blow past competitors. That's when companies start when they used to be all be using this company and slowly they move to this company. So just to point it out, there's a lot of things that are putting pressure on businesses to slow down, but that doesn't mean that it's necessarily a huge bad thing all the time. Yeah, no, and it's it's so insightful. And I, I want to touch on when you said it's not you know it's not just like uh, some subjective feedback you got from a community of people. This is real stuff. I mean, you you you've got the insight here, so that that's highly valuable. And then I'm also hearing, yes, okay, COVID can happen, and no one really can really forecast that. But this is different. What we're experiencing now, you've said Q4 last year. You've said there's there's been a clear kind of angle that the public, you know, public companies have gone, and we're seeing it maybe more tangibly now in private companies. And it's that's to me the takeaway. It's like, yeah, I fundamentally agree with you. Businesses that are fundamentally built are going to thrive now, but it, it, that's not lucky. That's not roll a dice. Oh, I'm there's there's a lot of foresight and strategy day. The foresight isn't that I know Q4 was going to happen, but the foresight is I'm looking for Q4. I'm looking for these things. Mm -hmm. I'm aware that they could be happening. I'm aware of what I should be doing and thinking about. So when they start to happen, I'm not sitting under a rock buying Bitcoin at $68,000 and now I've lost all my money, you know, mm -hmm. side joke. But that's like, that's what good business owners do yeah. is that they're aware. But even if you, even if you can't predict it or something that happens that you don't see it coming if you have sound business fundamentals and you are adaptable those are the only two things right like yeah just true. just being able to react to the situations while other companies you know go out and just contract and then what happens it puts pressure on companies that don't have good business fundamentals so they contract if you have good business fundamentals, you can sort of like play the game a little bit differently, be adaptable and make some make some moves. Yeah, and, and I, to build on that, I remember I, when you told me this the first time I said, so do you have, I don't know how I asked the question, but do you, are you fearful? I don't think I will use the word fearful, yeah. but I use some phrase of like, is that concerning that this could be happening? And your answer was like, so quickly like, like no, because there's this whole other bucket of people who are now going to capitalize mm -hmm. and we're there and and not be and we're there for one because of what you built over the last three years but they're also there because you're talking like this you're candid you're open you, you're showing yeah. you're broadcasting the reality 
which is huge. Another thing about not being fearful is that I look at business and life in a long-term view. This is a blip on the radar in in the grand scheme of things. And we, like I keep mentioning, the business fundamentals, right? If we don't get a customer next month, everything's fine. The business operates profitably. We have no outside investors. Like everything's going to be fine. Most companies don't have that situation. They have a situation where they and have, that, to, that's, where they that's have changeable. to think short term. Yeah, they can make changes there. That, that's they can do things about that. Mm. You can do things about everything, but you sort of get caught. You sort of get caught a little bit. Fair enough. But yeah, I mean, I I, I think it makes complete sense. Like you, mm-hmm. you know, if you are playing that short term game. Yeah, and you just can't be and, looking and you at. Still, yeah. You just can't. You, you there there are times where things are really good and everybody wins, and there are times where they're not as good and not as many people win. And you got to be able to, as a business operator, operate in both things. An economy is cyclical. So you can't be looking at a situation being like, I'm scared of this. You got to figure out how, like, I've been through this before. We're, we've, we've been prepared for this by doing X, Y, and Z. Now, given the situation, what am I going to do? Am I going to, am I going to slow down hiring? Am I going to slow down my revenue plans? Am I going to change this? Am I going to do this? Am I going to change the types of people? Am I going to start investing in this product more? You just got to be able to navigate. Love it. Um, okay, as we wrap up here, uh, selfish question for probably myself and some of the people. So where to from here? Refine Labs, you know, you've, you've, they call it the proverbial hockey stick. You, you know, the outside looker may say you're on the hockey stick knowing you and where you think you haven't even taken, you know, you haven't even left the, the hangar yet. Um, so wh- where do you see, where do you see Refine Labs in the next couple of years? Our goal is to fundamentally change how companies think about measure and execute their go-to-market strategies and so in order to achieve that vision like developing a service business that helps a lot of companies you know change what they do in a very high touch model was one way to accomplish that but there are many others and so when you center around that vision the next step that we're going to do is we're going to be opening up all of our intellectual property we're calling it the vault the vault is an intellectual property warehouse where we publish all the intellectual property that we develop, how we train our teams, our processes and frameworks, benchmark data, um, processes for how we execute paid social or run analyses or build Salesforce dashboards or all those things. We put together all that intellectual property and then we're allowing companies to come in and access that in a way where then they can take the information and then they can go and use that inside of their business. On the core finding that as we continue to execute with companies, the thing that I'm finding often is that a lot of companies have smart, talented people that can do the stuff. They're just not doing the right stuff and nobody knows what, what the right stuff is. And so being able to open that up to a lot of companies creates expansion of total addressable market, which is expansion of to overall impact. There's a lot of companies that are either you know too small, not well-funded enough, too big, whatever the, you know, whatever, too many marketers on their team doesn't whatever the reason is it doesn't really matter that for whatever reason aren't going to work with us and our service business so but here's an opportunity of a way that you can implement our our go to market strategy you can train your team on that you can use that as the operating system inside of your business to get better results than the one that you're doing right now using the model that got published in 2006 by serious decisions so that's another product. I'm very excited about that one. There's a lot of expansion opportunities and how that can continue to evolve into, like I mentioned, that can evolve into a niche social network 
Like I'm over, I'm out there looking for the best, like to think about how we can start to extract market share from LinkedIn for marketers that are serious about getting, sh doing shit better, not answering polls and looking at a bunch of shitty content every day on LinkedIn. So there's opportunities on that. And we've, developed a ton of intellectual property about how to measure, how to set up Salesforce, how to do those things. And so the, the, the next frontier after that will be um, software products. Tip, um, what we're looking at right now is go-to-market analytics or uh, what I'm calling a go-to-market optimization platform. It's in the very early stages, but ingests tons of data from Salesforce, stacks that up against benchmarks of every other company that's been integrated into the system with the key finding that you actually need to standardize the data on the Salesforce side, not inside of the SaaS platform, which is why nobody can do it and why we're so well equipped to do it because we have a service business that can standardize the data in Salesforce. And so I could see thousands of companies, if you can imagine this like market index in the future, thousands of companies are integrated, all the data's flowing, all the data's standardized like the metric system is. So you know when you're saying pipeline or revenue or pipe conversion or qualified meeting, it all means the same stuff. And then companies could go in there and, and benchmark a, bu a bunch of different data, run our analytics, make better decisions, things like that. So those are the three current like sort of offerings that will be developed inside of this business. And the whole, the whole point of what we're doing is to continue to innovate and create tons of opportunities and growth paths for the people that work here. So after that, we'll figure out what the next, next opportunity is and then we'll go and build that but we pay very much an infinite game here. So there's no, there's no real end in sight. So I've been cynic, infinite game, eh? What a, what a good little reference at the end there. Um, okay. Last one, man. I mean, I, I could comment for about four hours here, but uh, I'm going to just leave it at that. I think there's enough there for everyone to digest. Chris Walker, I know you, uh, Boston, Austin. I know you're traveling around quite a bit. Um, just you personally, do you loving this? This is this is your world. I think you thrive in it. That's what's what I've seen. You you want to keep doing it? You got some other other visions for yourself more personally? Um, so on the on the location side, like I have for um, just like I mentioned in like digitally native and things like that, like just challenging the idea that you live in one you only live in one place is what I'm challenging right now. I have a place in Boston, I have a place in Austin, and it's a four hour direct flight, and I can go back and forth and live in two places at once if I want to. And so that's one of the things that I'm thinking about here, and who knows how that goes. I don't, I don't buy homes, I lease them, because that's honestly a lot more financially responsible, especially when you're growing a business. So um, those are, that's on the location side, that's what I'm up to. I'm testing out the idea that can you live in two places at once and go back and forth in that way, Austin is amazing, great entrepreneur and tech scene, great weather, great tax situation, great access to South and Central America very easily. A lot of things that I like and enjoy. And I love Boston. My family's there. I have a lot of close friends there. The summers there are incredible. I love the seasons. I love visiting there for holidays. I love the neighborhood that I live in. So why do you have to choose? Why don't you do both? So that's on the location side. On the personal side, I see... Um, I see Refine Labs being the sort of like the main course and then opening up a, a couple other side dishes on the side where I'm typically not the operator. I'm just more involved. So that could be, and then if, if I do do those things, it'll be outside of 
B2B go-to-market and marketing type of stuff. And so that would could be an e-commerce company. It could be a real estate portfolio. It could be investing in a you know fleet of food trucks in Austin. Who knows what those opportunities will be and how they'll come. But my hope is to um, be, a, be very entrepreneurial and encourage more entrepreneurs to uh, chase their dreams as well. Chris, um, my only comment is, and I know I've said this briefly to you before, is there's something really refreshing about someone who's all in, but all in on all in. You know, it's not like, oh, this is Chris Walker, the CEO of Refine Labs, and then you go and you have, oh, this is Chris Walker, the friend, or this is Chris. You, there's, you have this view on life. You said this to me, you think you have a different view to a lot of people, and I'm seeing it more and more every day. You have this view on life that you just have, and it's on all fronts. It's whether I, where I live, it's how I operate my business, it's how I think about where I want to spend time with family and friends. It's like, you, you, it, it's all of you. And I think that you, just listening to you, it's like inspiring, just knowing what you've done in your business, looking at LinkedIn, there's going right back to the beginning of putting your money where your mouth is and just go and do it. It's not about the platform, just go and do it. And you're doing that. So I just want to say thank you. Thanks for being on our podcast. Thanks for chatting to me. Um, I'll have a bunch of stuff to push people to get yeah. the real nuts and bolts of marketing and all that stuff. That's way way over my head. Even this macroeconomics stuff is <laughs> way over my head. This is fun to listen to. Yeah. But thanks, man. I really appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, I love being on here and I love uh, to have inspired this podcast, which I've inspired many. So if you're all listening to this and you've gotten all the way through here and you want to take a shot, get moving. You got this. No, oh, I love it. Love it, love it. Chris, you've been a legend. Really appreciate it. Hopefully I'll see you sooner rather than later in person. We'll have another beer. I don't think we had a beer. We had some cocktails, I think. <laughs> That's fine. Um, yeah, we'll looking chat forward soon. Thanks to it. Thanks, Adam. Hey, everyone. Really appreciate you tuning into this episode of the State of Demand Gen podcast. And I just wanted to take a second to say to all of the listeners out there, we just crossed over 40 thousand listeners across the world to this podcast and so super grateful and super happy that for all of you really appreciate you tuning in attending the live events engaging on the linkedin content and now watching us get started up and engaging on youtube and tiktok and so thank you thank you thank you to all of you and if you haven't already if you've gotten value from the podcast i would really appreciate if you could go to apple podcasts in the review section of this podcast and leave a quick review or a rating it would mean a lot to me Thank you very much, and we'll see you for the next episode.